We're going to start reading from verse 16, Romans 16, 16. <clears throat> greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Now, uh, And now, what I'm going to do, actually, is I'm going to skip verse 17 through verse 20, <clears throat> because we're going to talk about that next week, and I'm going to pick it up at verse 21. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you, and so does Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. And I, Tertius, who write this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, host to me, and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, greets you. And Quartus, the brother, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. What we saw last time is that Paul went through and he just started acknowledging a bunch of people in the church in Rome. That was a church that he did not found. That was a church that at that point he had never even yet been to. He had never even yet visited that church. He had intended to for many years, uh, but he had never been able to, to get away and visit that church. And um, uh, But he was going through and he was greeting a bunch of the people whom he knew, greeting them by name. And you saw what how much the church meant to him. And now what he does in this second portion is, is, uh, in, in verse, in verse, uh, uh, 21, he starts acknowledging the people who are with him as he's writing this letter, as he's dictating this letter. He starts saying, okay, and here's the people with me. And the first one, the first one that he mentions here is Timothy. And this is the, in verse 21, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. <clears throat> Timothy is the one to whom he wrote the letters of 1 Timothy and the letter of 2 Timothy. 1 Timothy, he wrote to Timothy, who was a leader of the church and, and, and a, a, a young man whom he viewed as his own son. He loved him so much. He said, you're like a son to me. <clears throat> and he, he wrote 1 Timothy during his first imprisonment in, in, uh, um, in Rome, which was 62 to 63 AD. And then he wrote Second Timothy during his second imprisonment in Rome, which was 66 to 67 AD, and uh, shortly before he was beheaded and put to death, we know from extra-biblical accounts, uh, uh, by, by uh, the Emperor Nero. But, uh, um, and we know from Second Timothy, he says, my end is near. And, and so he knew the end was coming. But then he also, he, then, then we see he, he mentions Lucius. Lucius is also mentioned in Acts 13.1. And then he mentions uh, um, Jason. He's mentioned in Acts 17, verse 5. And then he also uh, mentions Sosipater. Sosipater, and that's in Acts 20, verse 4. Uh, uh, Sosipater was a Berean. You might remember the Berean church, that, that they examined things. And they, 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 uh, it was quite a community. Sosipater was, uh, was from that community. He says, he's my kinsman. So he's going through. And then, he, then you see it says, I... Tertius, who write this letter, greet you in the Lord. So he is the one who's actually writing it. Paul is dictating this letter, and Tertius is the scribe writing it. And Tertius inserts a sentence of his own. He says, I, Tertius, <clears throat> who write this letter, greet you in the Lord. So he kind of just inserted his own, his own little text in this letter. Then he goes through and he mentions Gaius. Gaius is in 1 Corinthians 1.14. <clears throat> you see Gaius. And then host to me and, and the whole church greets you. Then he says Erastus. Erastus was, uh, was mentioned. In, he's in 2 Timothy 4.20. He says Erastus, the city treasurer. This is the treasurer at Corinth, the city treasurer. So this is quite a high-ranking person. And Quartus, the brother. So he mentions all these people. The church is super important to 
to, uh, uh, to Paul. I will tell you, I love the body of Christ. I love the church. The vast majority of what I know about the Lord, I learned in the church. I learned from people in the church. Uh, you say, oh, well, you know, you come from a Jewish background. You knew all this. I didn't know anything as a Jew. I mean, like nothing, like like practically nothing except a few traditions. But but I, I knew practically nothing. Uh, uh, but but uh, the church means so much to me. And we're going to hear more about that in a minute. But what I want to do is I want to look at this one verse here. It says in verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. What does that mean? Now, we can just try to <clears throat> say, uh, culturize this away and say this was a, a something of, of the time, something of the culture. But this is mentioned four other times in, in the New Testament. So five times the holy kiss is mentioned. It's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 16, 20, 2 Corinthians 13, 12, 1 Thessalonians 5, 26, and 1 Peter 5, 14. So Peter even mentions it. So they mentioned the holy kiss. Now, the people who... Who, who care the most about this, in my experience, and I'm not talking about you guys, I'm just talking about in my own youthful experience, it was young men wanted to know a lot about what this holy kiss meant. <clears throat> and, uh, and, and so times haven't changed. These were young men when I was in college. You said, what do you think this holy kiss means? Should this is something we should be doing? <clears throat> and <clears throat> and we, <clears throat> we can't acculturize this away because it's mentioned numerous times in the Bible. And, and uh, we have to be very careful about saying, oh, that was culture, so we don't have to apply it, unless the, the context tells us this. So what did this mean? Now, there are things that, that, that uh, uh, we don't really know, but let me read you something from, from uh, Caesar and Christ. So this is, this is a section from, remember, Will Durant's one of the, the most famous historians of the 20th century. In the 1940s, he wrote like an eight-volume series called The History of Civilization. He has volume three is called Caesar and Christ. So he's talking about that time period. And it's a huge volume. I, I don't know, may, like maybe 500 pages. And I've, I've, I've gone through, I've read the whole thing. <clears throat> but he mentions this. So what we're going to hear is we're going to hear from a historian who is not a Christian. Uh, he himself, Will Durant says of himself that he's an agnostic. And it's good to hear things not from Christians because Christians will sometimes sugarcoat things to make other Christians happy. Nor is Will Durant negative against the body of Christ. Sometimes you, you read things and people obviously hate Christians and then everything is just, just a dig. But, but, uh, um, Will Durant, I think, is, is, is really, really middle of the road. He's not against, he's not for, he's just recording the history as it is. This is a true historian, Will Durant. And here's what he writes about this, because I remember reading about this in, in, in his series. And, and here's, here's something that, that it says. And then I'm gonna go ahead and read more about what life was like and, just the problems that there were in the early church and the struggles that they had and some of the same moral issues that you and I are discussing today, that our culture is discussing today, they were discussing. So it's really interesting. So he's writing about what took place in the in the end of the first century and the second century in, in this Roman Empire. He says an element, and I'm not going to skip anything. I'll read everything over these few pages, so I'm not going to pull sentences out. He says an element of communism entered into the custom of the common meal. As the Greek and Roman associations had met on occasions to dine together, so early Christians gathered frequently in the quote-unquote agape, or love feast, usually 
on a Sabbath evening. So that's on a Friday night. The dinner began and ended with prayer and scriptural readings, and the bread and the wine were blessed by the priests. The faithful appear to have believed that the bread and the wine were or represented the body and the blood of Christ. The worshippers of Dionysus, Attis, and Mithras had entertained like beliefs at the banquets where they ate the magic embodiments or symbols of their gods. The final ritual of the agape was the, quote, kiss of love, unquote. In some congregations, this was given only by men to men and by women to women. In others, this hard restriction was not enforced. Many participants discovered an untheological delight in the pleasant ceremony. And Tertullian, uh, Tertullian was a, was a, was a early, uh, Christian apologist, uh, really brought in Latin. He lived in North Africa, and Tertullian lived 155 to 220 AD. And Tertullian and others denounced it as having led to sexual indulgences. The church recommended that the lips should not be open in kissing, and the kiss should not be repeated if it gave pleasure. In the third century, the agape gradually disappeared. Despite the episodes and their, despite such episodes and the diatribes of preachers calling their congregation to perfection, we may accept the old belief that the morals of the early Christians were a reproving example to the pagan world. After the weakening of the ancient faiths had removed their frail support from the moral life and the attempt of Stoicism at an almost natural ethic had failed with all but the best of men, a new supernatural ethic accomplished at whatever cost to the free and dissolvent intellect the task of regulating the jungle instincts of man into a viable morality. The hope of the coming kingdom carried with it belief in a judge who saw every act, knew every man's thought, and could not be eluded or deceived. To this divine surveillance was added mutual scrutiny. In these little groups, sin could with difficulty find a hiding place. And the community publicly reprimanded those members who had violated the new moral code with insufficient secrecy. Abortion and infanticide which were decimating pagan society, were forbidden by Christians as the equivalent of murder. In many instances, Christians rescued exposed infants, baptized them, and brought them up with the aid of the community fund. Their church forbade, with less success, the attendance of Christians at the theater and public games and their participation in festive festivities of pagan holidays. In general, Christianity continued and exaggerated the moral sternness of the embattled Jews. Celibacy and virginity were recommended as ideal. Marriage was tolerated only as a check on promiscuity and as a ridiculous means of continuing the race. But husband and wife were encouraged to refrain from sexual relations. Divorce was allowed only when a pagan wished to annul a marriage with a convert. The remarriage of widows or widowers was discountenanced. And homosexual practices were condemned with an earnestness rare in antiquity. Quote, so far as sex is concerned, the Christian is content with the woman, unquote, said Tertullian. Much of this difficult code was predicated on the early return of Christ. As that hope faded, the voice of the flesh rose again, and Christian morals were relaxed. An anonymous pamphlet called The Shepherd of Hermas was written, and an invade against reappearance among Christians of 
avarice, dishonesty, rogue, dyed hair, painted eyelids, drunkenness, and adultery. Nevertheless, the general picture of Christian morals in this period is one of piety, mutual loyalty, marital fidelity, and quiet happiness in the possession of a confident faith. The younger Pliny. So Pliny was a, a Roman official, and he, he, uh, he was not, he, he was in, uh, um, in parts of Asia, and he would write back to, to Trajan, who was the, the emperor. Trajan was the emperor. And, and, and this Roman official, Pliny, you can read his other writings. He would put Christians to death all the time. When they testified that they had seen Christ alive, he'd put them to death for their stubbornness because they wouldn't deny it. If they didn't worship his God, he'd put them to death. And, he, and, and you can write, a, you can read about, I mean, Pliny was quite a guy. He would take fresh animal skins and wrap it around Christians and throw them in cages to wild dogs. I mean, this is what he would do to them. So, but it says that the younger Pliny was compelled to report to Trajan that Christians led peaceful and exemplary lives. Galen, Galen was a, 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 so the younger Pliny lived 62 to 113 AD. Trajan lived, uh, 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 nine, which was emperor 98 to 117 AD. So you can see the time period here. And, uh, Galen was, was a philosopher, lived 129 to 216 AD. Uh, Galen described them, meaning Christians, as, quote, so far as, adva- so far advanced in self-discipline and an intense desire to attain moral excellence, that they are in no way inferior to true philosophers, unquote. So you can see the context within the time. So this is, so even then they were trying to figure out what is this holy kiss? Even in the, in the end of the first century, they were trying to deal with these issues. And, and people have a, have a reputation for corrupting things. And, and things that may have been meant for good, people, people really mess things up. But what I want to do now is I, I want to invite Miss Eby up here. And uh, come on up here, and you're going to sit right next to me. And I want Miss Eby to share a little bit because she has an amazing, amazing testimony. And I got to put a few microphones on you here because we got we got one for the Zoom and one for the recording. And uh, I just want to make sure everybody's going to hear what you have to say. And then we got one for the room that I'll kind of just hold for you. And what, what amazes me, one of the reasons I, I've invited Miss Eby here is because I love the body of Christ. And when you meet believers that have walked for decades upon decades in the Lord and have remained all through the trials of life with a good attitude and not being cynical about the body of Christ and not being cynical about the church and not saying, oh, well, you know, one pastor said something and it offended me, so I stopped going. Well, you know, you know, if, if you're going to get bent out of shape because somebody said somebody something that offended you, you'll never be able to have marriage. You'll never be able to have a relationship with your children. You'll never be able to have a, a place of work. And and what this lady has done is just exemplified grace. And I want I want to hear your story. Okay, <clears throat> my story starts a long time ago in May of this year. I've been a member of this church 58 years, so this is going back to. Um, 1957, my husband and I and our children moved to College Station, or he was working on his master's degree. And in 1962, we had two little girls and one little boy. In fact, they're here today. Here, if you want to raise your hands. <laughs> um, and we, at, the baby was just three weeks old, and we were going to see his grandmother to show off my husband's new son. And a drunk driver hit us head on, and killed my husband. The kids and I were hurt pretty bad. 
And uh, at that time, we had been members of First Baptist Church College Station for five years. Can I just say something? For those of you online, College Station is about uh, 90, miles. Nine, 90 miles away from Houston. Okay. Uh, and we were, we were active in the church, and we loved the church. <clears throat> to show what the church does for you, our house there was left just like we left it that day. Uh, and the kids and I were recuperating at my parents' house in Houston. Our church in College Station went over there, rented a big truck, packed us all up, and brought it all to Houston. Now, who does that <laughs> but a church? <clears throat> and we, I did move my family back to Houston to be closer to family. And a few years later, I started dating a young man I dated in high school when he was at A&M. And his wife had died of cancer. He had three children the same ages as mine. And we eventually married. And we were doing really well. We were happy. We were starting a new life. And seven months after we married, he was killed in a boating accident. So at this point, I'm 30 years old, and I have six children. And I've been widowed twice. And I cannot tell you what the church does for us. My kids grew up without an earthly father. But <clears throat> this church stepped in. Uh, the night we first heard about uh, Jimmy's boating accident, Dr. Fowler, who was a pastor at that time, and his wife were at my house he, within he, 30 he was minutes. The pastor here at this church. Yeah. And uh, two other men from the church came and got me. And <clears throat> my sister was with my husband. She also lost her husband and took me to my sister's house where this had happened. Uh, other members took some of the children to their homes um, so we could work on this for a couple of days. Um, so anyway, this that's my story. Uh, and I've been, <clears throat> can tell you, even though my children grew up without an earthly father, there were people in this church, men and women, who, who mentored them and raised them, <clears throat> helped me raise them. And uh, that's what a church does. When, you're, when you get involved and you have a loving church, that's what happens. So, so this body of Christ, this is what we're talking about. Paul loved the body of Christ. He mentioned all these names. I love the body of Christ. This is a woman who has walked decades, many decades with the Lord, gone through amazing tragedy, and then, and then you see she has an attitude like this and the church came around her and carried it through. I'm telling you, if you get this attitude, like we're transient, we're going to be here for a year and then we're leaving, you miss out so much on understanding what the body of Christ is. And uh, so, so tell me a little bit more. What I, and and what, what's really fascinating, her three children from her first husband are all here and, and, uh, um, and they're active in this church. I mean, you'll see Hardy up there. He's, they just do so much. And, and how did you maintain this family and, and encourage them in the Lord? How did you do this? You had now six kids. You're 30 years old. You're widowed twice. And then, how'd you do this? How'd you wake up in the morning and, 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 and do this? Uh, uh, well, I'm one of those that does plan ahead. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when I first wake up in the morning, I think, what have I got to do for all six of them today? Um, their ages at this time were 10 down to 3. Uh, there were a 10-year-old, 9-year-old, two 7-year-olds, and two 3-year-olds. Um, fortunately for me, they all got along. They, uh, they loved each other. They still do. I meant to bring you that, and I forgot, but I'll get it to you. Carol wrote one time about her siblings and how they love each other still today. Uh, 
We were here every time the doors opened. They'll be glad to tell you that. They used to say we got here when the janitors did. <clears throat> but uh, there was always something for them to do here. There was Sunday school, training union, GAs, RAs, um, what, what is this, choir. What does this stand for? I, I don't know. You're talking to a Jewish Oh, GAs guy. was Girls Auxiliary. Okay. And it was a mission type thing. RAs was uh, Royal Ambassadors. And uh, then we had at that time... Uh, did Ronnie talk last week? He did. Okay. Ronnie Barner was our youth pastor uh, at the time and uh, also the music director. And he kept, he helped raise these children. I mean, they were in every, he had every choir you could have and uh, took them on mission trips every Sunday, every summer. Uh, there was always something to draw them closer to the Lord in this church, plus the wonderful people that helped us. We had a family that moved that lived two blocks away, George and Louise McCarty. You know Louise? Oh, yeah. And uh, anything that broke in our house, George was around there to fix it. Uh, Louise was always helping us. Uh, sometimes I'd be trying to work on something that was broken, and one of the kids would walk through and said, it's time to call Mr. Mack, whether it was the car or the house. And whenever I would try to pay him for parts, he had this strange warehouse somewhere that had everything in it. It never cost me anything. I don't know. He said, oh, no, I already had that. <clears throat> um, there were other uh, others, too, that just blessed us all the way through. I had, uh, it's in Philippians, and I am so thankful for this verse because the Lord has always made me be content in whatever state I'm in. And <clears throat> with all the love that came from this church, uh, I was content. Amen. You know, that's interesting you should say that about the McClarty's. That, uh, you know, think about it. A 30-year-old woman with six kids, all under, like, the age of 10 or something. And what do you do when things break down? I know in my house when things break down, she doesn't even have to think about it. I mean, <laughs> i got to take care of this. And I, take, I get it done. And, uh, um, but what does it, a, a young woman do? And then this man in the church comes, and he, I didn't even know this, to yeah. come over and fix all these things. This is what the body of Christ does. I'm just telling you, get plugged in to a church. Become part of that church. Get to know the community of that church. And you see what it's like to have the body of Christ. Nowhere else do you get this. Nowhere. And this is the treasure of the body of Christ. Paul treasured it as we're reading. I treasure it. Miss Evie treasures it. I want you to treasure it also, the body of Christ, what it means to be with each other. Tell us some more. What else you got here? Okay. Well, I would like to read what, yes. what, what we, if I could. Yes. This is what West University Baptist Church means to me. <clears throat> At West University Baptist Church, I have been blessed to see all my children baptized there. Three of them married there. I have seen four of my grandchildren married there. I have seen six of my grandchildren baptized there. I have seen one of my sons ordained to the ministry there. <clears throat> one ordained as a deacon. One of my daughters-in-law was baptized there. My best friends attend church there, and some of those friendships have lasted over 50 years. After I retired in 2001, I've enjoyed all the activities at church that keep me busy. And the best part of our family's lives can all be linked to West University Baptist Church. And we praise God for leading us here. Amen. Wow, what a, what a testimony. What a testimony. When you see a life like this, I'm telling you, we don't know 
what our lives are going to be like. You don't know what your life is going to be like. You know, you get married. I mean, here was a young lady married uh, just for a few years and she loses her husband and then marries again. Half seven months later, that husband dies in, in a fishing accident. And uh, um, we don't know what life is going to, what blows are going to be dealt to us in life. But the grace of God is sufficient. It is sufficient. And in the body of Christ, there is enormous strength in the body of Christ. I wish, I pray that you understand the, the treasure of the body of Christ. What comes through the fellowship of the body of Christ. What it means to serve together. Uh, to have a man like Mr. McClarty that could come over and fix anything, whether it goes from the cars to the house or whatever it was. Everybody has a different gift. And when you bring your gifts into the body of Christ and use that to bless other people, it is such a blessing. You know, yesterday we had, there was a, there was a wedding of, of one of the students who used to attend the class and he didn't have much money at all. They did it in the backyard and they told Shireen at the last minute, so she cooked a bunch of food and got a bunch of flowers there. And they pulled it off. And, and Shereen and I were talking about this. And we said, you know, there's all these weddings where they'll spend hundreds of thousands of dollars in these big hotels and everything. But this was done for, I don't know, they, they borrowed the tables from our, our garage and set everything up for like practically nothing. But it's going to be a treasure of a marriage. Because the quality of what happens when the body of Christ pulls together is so rich and so good. And I know what the body of Christ did for <coughs> us, for me and Shireen on our wedding, and, and how the girls stayed up all night making these, 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 these uh, crepe paper flowers to <laughs> deck the things behind us, and what they did, and, and uh, the treasure of being in the body of Christ. Remember what I'm telling you. Join a church, get plugged in there, and become a part and serve there. And you will understand this treasure because you never know what blows that life is going to deal and the amazing thing about you is that is that I don't see bitterness in you, and I am uh, not. <laughs> you're not bitter. You're not bitter, and and uh, uh, to have gone through what you've gone through, and you don't see the bitterness, and you see the thankfulness to the Lord. I'll tell you this: only in Christ, you do not see this in the world. Only in Christ could you have something like this. It's all about Jesus. He is the best in every way. What he does is he just funnels the light of God into our lives, into our hearts, and makes all this available to us so that in the midst of enormous loss and in the midst of enormous confusion, what am I going to do? His presence is there. And He comes around you. I mean, like, you say, you, you guys were, were all banged up from this car accident where your husband died, and you just, you didn't even have to go back to your house. The church went, packed up your house, and moved it 90 miles, yes. moved everything you had down to Houston. Who does this? This is the body of Christ. This is what happens in the body of Christ. You take these people, you take these senior citizens who have walked with God for decades upon decades, for more than half a century, walked with God for three quarters of a century, walked <coughs> with God. There is a treasure in their lives. Last week we heard from Brother Ronnie Barnum. This week from, from uh, Miss Evie. And you see the treasure that's in their lives. This is why I want you to get to know the body of Christ. It's not just this college class. We've got little kids from newborns being taken care of to seniors. And this, this is the body of Christ. This is what goes on here. This past week, we had 400 children 
in this church from the community. 400 in, the, in this, uh, 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 the, 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 these uh, evangelistic type classes that, that, that go on. There's 100 at Cross Bibles. Point. And, and, and 100 at Cross Point. Yeah. You know, and so you have 100 of the older ones at Cross Point. This is what this church does. This is the outreach that's taking place that many college students are oblivious to. Because, because you just don't see it. Because you just come here on Sunday and you think, hey, this is, this is what it is. There's so much going on here. When you see some of these, these seniors walking around, just remember the treasure and the depth of God that's in their lives. How much we can learn from them. How much we can learn from their lives. And I want you to think about this. The blows that life can deal out. And how Jesus is the best in every way. Let's close in prayer. You stay right here because I want to pray for you. Could I give one more example? Yes, absolutely. Okay. We've got time for that. Uh, it's not all big projects. Sometimes um, this past week, uh, two weeks ago, my daughter Carol's husband was diagnosed with cancer. And she said when her, Hardy said, well, you need to let the pastors know. And she, I guess she texted Paul Major. She said within three minutes, she had a telephone call from him. Ten minutes later, Roger Patterson was calling her. So she looked at me and said, what do people do without a church family? Amen. And I would like to read um, Psalm 68. Excuse me. Uh, The Lord's never let me testify without crying, so y'all just ignore it. Um, Psalm 68, 5 and 6. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. And I believe God fulfills this great thing through this church. Amen. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. And he's done that all for us. Wow. You're a living testimony of God's faithfulness. Thank you. And I, you know, I've I've seen Miss Eby's children. Hardy, who she said was going on mission trips and everything, he led mission trips for my children. And uh, 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 he and his wife would take my children on mission trips. And so you see how this has just passed on and been a blessing to me, been a blessing to my children. My children grew up in this church. If I didn't tithe, I'd feel like I'm a thief because of what this church has done for me and my children and how they poured their lives into my children. My kids were cared for in churches since they were just little babies. I mean, People would change diapers of my children in, in the nursery. And then from little kids, they'd be teaching them Bible verses. They'd teach them how to sing. They'd play games with them. They'd pour their lives into my children's lives. I'm forever thankful to the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Miss Eby and the testimony of what you have done in her life. Lord, I pray your continued blessing upon her and the testimony of this sweetness. Lord, only in Jesus, only in Jesus. Father, thank you for the body of Christ who we see in the scriptures. Paul loved the people in the body of Christ, treasured them. Father, you treasure them and you have given this to us to enjoy the body of Christ, to serve alongside in the body of Christ. Father, I pray for these young people that they would learn what it means, the body of Christ, the local church, what that means, how they can't get it online, they can't get it from from being far away. It's the body of Christ, the local church. 
Father, display that to them, I pray thee. Oh God, teach it to them that they not fall away like so many others that are drifting away from the church without understanding your purposes in this. Oh God, have mercy on them. And Father, I pray for unbelievers that are hearing something like this for the first time and wondering how, how can a woman go through so much and have such a positive attitude? Father, I pray that this day they would get saved, that they would see Jesus in his holiness. Blessed be your name, Lord Jesus. You are so good in every way. All this comes because you gave yourself for us. You opened the door for this. Blessed be Jesus forever and ever. Blessed be Jesus. Lord, you are the best in every way. Glory be to your name. Amen. And I offer this to you for your glory. Amen.